You must know the times. Answers to 25 essential questions on end times prophecy. A powerful new book by Dennis James Woods. Wildfires, earthquakes, hurricanes, and floods that devastates entire communities. Global pandemics that kills hundreds of thousands of people. Social injustice, unrest, and lawlessness that threatens our societies. Where is this world heading? And what does the Bible say about the end times? You Must Know the Times is an eye-opening book specifically designed to educate readers about the last days. You will learn what the Bible says about conflicts in the Middle East, the Tribulation Period, the Nation of Israel, the Mark of the Beast, the Antichrist, Armageddon, the Rapture of the Church, and many more essential topics. Get your copy today of You Must Know the Times by Dennis James Woods at Amazon, iTunes, Google Books, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. Praise the Lord, everyone. This is Dr. Dennis James Woods, and we're here with you one more time with the Revelation Revolution. Oh, I know some of you might be saying out there, what happened to this brother? He was on, he was doing his episodes, and all of a sudden, just dropped off the earth. But no, ladies and gentlemen, we are here. We're live and well. Uh, glory to God, and I'm just so glad to be on with you. We have another very important lesson on this morning. Glory to God, it is... Uh, uh, September 18th, 2019. Glory to God. And we just thank God again for God allowing us to uh, minister to you on today. Uh, I looked on my podcast, uh, the statistics and over 1,249 listeners have listened to one of uh, 18 uh, programs that I have put out there. And I am so pleased with that. Uh, there's a there's a lot of people that uh, are getting are getting blessed uh, by our ministry. And so we just thank God for that. And uh, I'm going to keep you informed as to what we're doing and all of that. Uh, but just so you know, uh, one of the reasons why I've kind of been off the grid is I've been working on a series of commentaries called Revelation Revolution. Uh, but by the time I'm, I'm imagining, by the time I finish with it, it'd be six, seven volumes at least. And I'm going to try to uh, keep each one of them right around the 100 page mark. You know, I, I can get to going in my books can be well over 200 pages approaching 300 pages but i want to do these in bite-sized bite chunks so people can grasp all of these uh, uh very complex uh, uh doctrinal tenets that we are being taught here in the pre-wrath position now again when i say pre-wrath i'm not talking about the same pre-wrath that others have like marvin rosenthal and those uh guys uh, i remember when i wrote my first book and was published in 1994 uh glory to god i actually spoke to marvin rosenthal uh who also has a pre-wrath position and uh but ours is uh different i didn't get this from anybody else this is what the lord has given me over the years and i'm giving it to you uh and so i just thank god for all that he has done through his grace uh glory to god so when you guys hear it here you're hearing a uh, uh, uh 
I don't like to necessarily use the term fresh revelation because the word is the word of God. It's already it's already been here. It's already been the same. It doesn't change. However, but the perspective that we are bringing and putting on this challenges uh, the most popular pre-tribulation uh, doctrine in the world right now, which is a pre-tribulationism. Uh, most people uh, that are evangelical, fundamental, charismatic, Pentecostal, most of these people, the vast majority are all pre-trib. And so we're going to talk about uh, the history of where pre-trib came from and all of that. We're going to do a brief overview, a Cliff Notes version of the historic perspective of how dispensationalism came to America. Then we're going to get into a very, very important subject about the uh, so-called tribulation saints. We're going to segue into some other things. And so you're not going to want to miss this lesson. Uh, glory to God. So we just thank God for all of you in Jesus name. You have just joined another exciting chapter of the Revelation Revolution. And because you're listening to me now, you have joined the Revelation Revolution. Praise God. Praise God. Let's just open with a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you in the name of Jesus for your love, mercy, and grace. We thank you for waking us up this morning and starting us on our way in the name of Jesus. Lord God, we just continue to bless and pray for all the people that are tuned in to this uh, segment of Revelation Revolution. And we ask, Lord God, that the word of God go deeply into their spirits and let it convert how they see things, how they can uh, interpret end time events, Lord God, that they could have their hearts prepared. Lord God, to be ready to give them uh, an answer to everyone that inquires about what is the hope within them. So, Lord, Lord God, let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Amen. We thank God again for all of you. And we just ask God's grace to continue to be with you. Uh, I want to start this morning's uh, lesson with a, a scripture that I think is important. We're going to just throw a, you know, start out with a couple of them, then we're going to get into the meat of our lesson. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, we have this scripture in past, uh, uh, verse number 3. This is how it reads. I'm reading from the NASB. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Holy Spirit says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. 
Now, two things are going on here. Uh, Paul, because he's about to open up his whole discourse on spiritual gifts. And you had to understand what was kind of going on in Corinth. Corinth was a city that was steeped in a lot of mysticism. You had uh, a lot of divination, a lot of devil worship, a lot of idol worship. Very carnal uh, type of society. Um, steeped in a lot of uh, what we would call black arts. Uh, you had oracles there or quote unquote prophets. You had the oracle of Delphi. and You had the uh, uh, prostitution religious cults. You, had, you just had a lot of stuff going on. So when the so when Christianity began to spread in Corinth, obviously people uh, bring to the church the things that they've already been exposed to in society prior to being converted. So there were a lot of issues that were going on that Paul had to address with Corinthians. He had to set a lot of things in order, and um, there were opposing uh, segments. Uh, uh, there was a lot of opposition to Christianity and so there were certain things that Paul just had to say and uh, you had all kind of people you know uh, saying Jesus Christ is a curse because you had the Gnostics coming in and with their doctrines and you had all sorts of different philosophical views going on there in Corinth and so Paul just wanted to make some things clear that number one, you can't say you are a Christian and are, and are filled with the spirit and are being moved by the spirit. And then at the same time, say Jesus Christ is a curse. They say if that's coming out of your mouth, mouth, that is a reflection of your heart. That is a reflection of the spirit that is within you and no one that is under the anointing or the influence or the control or has the Holy Spirit dwelling within them would ever say Jesus Christ is anathema or cursed. You wouldn't you just wouldn't do that. On the other end of the spectrum, no one can say Jesus Christ is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, we're not talking about a cavalier profession. Anybody can make their mouth say anything. You know, Jesus said and uh, on Judgment Day, there will be many who say, Lord, Lord, you know, have we not cast out devils in your name and done miracles in your name and prophesied in your name? He said, yeah, but I never knew you. Jesus also t told his disciples, do not marvel in the fact that the demons are subject to you because they were, he gave them authority to cast out demons. He said, don't 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 marvel over that. He said, but rejoice that your name is written in heaven. You see, uh, just because people have gifts or possess gifts, that within itself is not the final arbiter of who is saved and who isn't saved. The final arbiter of that is, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Number one, does Jesus know who you are? Number two, is your name written in that book? That's, comes down, that's what it comes down to. Glory to God, that's the evidence right there. Uh, besides your life, <laughs> God going over your entire life, you know, on judgment day and, and judging you over those things. But, uh, so this is why it's important, you know, that Jesus says, no one can say Jesus is Lord, 
except for the Holy Ghost. So he's not talking about a person that's deceived or a person that's just saying it. This this passage, uh, as I heard the great Dr. Uh, R.C. Sproul, uh, who was going on to be with the Lord now, uh, teach on this particular passage. He said it's basically an elliptical passage and elliptical meaning that it assumes that it's not saying everything here kind of like an ellipsis there is no ellipsis there you know the three dots but there is no ellipsis which indicates uh, uh, there's a part of a statement that is left out but there's, you're just you're just getting a part of it no one can say Jesus Christ is Lord let's be elliptical here and, and mean it particularly under threat of life or being persecuted or something like that if you really don't believe something trust me you're not about to die for it okay so this is what he's saying no one can say Jesus Christ is Lord except by the Holy Spirit in other words you have to be born again you need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ in order for that profession to actually mean something and the profession can't mean something if you are not in relationship with God if you're not indwelt by the Holy Spirit because your, your heart has to be converted in order for that statement to be a valid statement particularly in the face of of death and persecution and you have to understand that during the first century when Christianity was still a fledgling religion uh, developing and God moving it throughout the earth and beginning to uh, beginning to spread you have to understand there was a lot of persecution of Christians Christians were being killed Christians were dying Christians were being persecuted in Rome. These there was uh, there were a su succession of Caesars that were very anti-Christian. They was setting them on fire, burning them into the stake. Uh, uh, just all sorts of perverse tortures for Christians, and they did it. Glory to God! This very morbid stuff, and they did it in front of crowds. You know, uh, if you look at the movie. Uh, uh, a gladiator, Marcus Aurelius. Uh, Marcus Aurelius. They they basically uh, romanticized him, but Marcus Aurelius was bloodthirsty. He was one of the ones, one of the emperors that led <laughs> a period of persecution against Christians. And so, um, so getting back to our this verse, it says no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Ghost. And so it's important that I, I, I put that out there because I need people to understand uh, because where we're going, this is going to be important. Now there's another verse uh, that I would like to uh, go to and uh, I think it's uh, very relevant to of what we're doing uh, talking about today let's go to first John chapter 2 I believe verse 18 and uh, I just want to put these out we haven't got to our lesson yet but I'm just setting the stage for our lesson okay first uh, John chapter 2 verse 18 children it is the last hour 
And just as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. Now I want you to get what he's saying. Let's let's pull this up in also the NIV. Dear little children. Now you notice something that he doesn't say. This is John, the same one that wrote Revelation. Even though I know some there are some critical scholars that would disagree with that, but this is this is the this is how we're approaching it. He doesn't say the body of Christ, he doesn't say the church. Guess what? You know what? John doesn't use that language in his epistles. Glory to God. He only uses church in the local sense uh, and not in not in this uh, chapter, not in this book at all. Little children, this is the last hour. And you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. So, it is interesting that these first century Christians were already talking about eschatology. Number one, J just just like just like Paul in uh, uh, First and Second Thessalonians. Okay, I mean there, there there was an interest already in it. Glory to God. Many b believe that the Lord was coming in their day. Yeah, we don't have a problem with that. Okay, they believe it. Every generation believes that. Obviously, if whoever did believe that in the first century, if Paul believed it, if John believed it, if whoever believed it, they were wrong. We And we have 21 centuries of history to prove that. So we, we don't need to debate that. Dear little children, this is the last hour and you have heard that Antichrist is coming. Even now, there are many Antichrists. So in other words, he's saying, what proves that Antichrist is going to come is the fact or the Antichrist, the epitome of Antichrist is going to come, is the fact that there are Antichrists already existing. There are Antichrists that Christians already have to deal with. All these Nero's, Antiochus Epiphanes, of course Antiochus precedes Christ, okay? But down through history, there have been these people who have called themselves God. That's what Antiochus Epiphanes the fourth, that's what it means, an epiphany. That he's a, he's a uh, manifestation of God. Uh, and so uh, uh, the, the, the emperor cult worship of the Roman emperors being God, okay? Even in the church age. And so these were the type of people that Christians had to deal with. They had to deal with antichrists. Glory to God. And so the point that John is making here. You know antichrist is coming. Because there's already antichrists in the world that you have to deal with. As a matter of fact. John was banished to Patmos by one of the emperors, the Roman emperors. Many people believe it was domination. But the bottom line is 
this was a reality with Christians you have the Christ who is Jesus Christ but then you have the Antichrist those who are in opposition to or instead of claiming to be Christ this has been a reality that Christians have always had to deal with but the interesting thing about this ladies and gentlemen is this had John been teaching a pre-trib concept of Antichrist he would have said dear little children this is the last hour you have heard that Antichrist is coming but you don't have to worry about that because the church will be gone before he gets here you don't have to worry about that because the rapture will occur prior to the Antichrist being revealed you don't have to worry about that because we'll be gone before he is manifested he doesn't say that this text anticipates the coming that the anticipates the coming of the eschatological antichrist with the proof that you know he's coming because there's already these little antichrists operating already in other words John is treating this subject like church this is something you're going to see believers this is something you're going to see not this don't worry about this you heard that antichrist is going to come but don't worry about it because God's going to take us away before he's going to rapture us before he even get the antichrist even gets here and that would be the thing to say just just think it is think it is think of if John was teaching a pre-trib rapture just think of this now and the subject of Antichrist comes up would it not make the most sense that as soon as the topic comes up that what he would say is this you have heard of Antichrist is coming but don't be concerned about that there's no need for me to write to you about that because the church will be gone before he gets here that if, if, if that was the prevailing thought in his mind the prevailing thought at the time it seems that would have been the opportune time for them him to say don't worry about Antichrist because he we will be gone before he shows up but that is not what he says here now let's fast forward to the book of Revelation and I want you to just bear with me here we're going to read a few passages first we're going to go to Revelation 13 and 7 I want you to listen to this it was given and I'm reading from the NIV we're going to do about three different versions on this so so just bear with me it was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them the it there is Antichrist or the beast and it was given authority over every tribe people language and nation all the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast then it has a M dash here M dash is that long dash between words all those 
all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb who was slain before the foundation and the creation of the world. Uh, footnote here. Now, if you remember, if you go back to either my yes, my uh, six, my 17th episode. I really encourage you to go back and listen to that because I actually have quotes uh, J- Dr. John MacArthur's audio with John MacArthur the one who writes all the commentaries, one of the most top evangelical uh, teachers, pastors in the country, probably in the world right now. I'm not saying the top, but one of them. One of the big ones. I actually have an audio clip of him saying that people can get the mark of the beast and go, still go to heaven. Okay, now, still be redeemed. His basis for that is, is everybody on earth is going to be forced to get the mark of the beast anyway. You won't be able to get it. And and, and he said, so since everybody is forced to give it, and they don't have any choice but to get it, that God is not going to hold these people responsible and he'll still give you a chance. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a complete lie from the pit of hell. John MacArthur is because of that. Now, I'm not saying everything he says is wrong, but that is a lie. And we're going to get to that. We're gonna, but that's a lie, ladies and gentlemen. Number one, the first premise is he's wrong. Everybody is not going to get the mark of the beast. Listen to what the verse says. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. Conquer them here just simply means kill them. Okay? And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. And all the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. M dash, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life who was slain from the creation of the world now this is the qualifier everybody is gonna do it except people who are saved people whose names are written in the book this is gonna be the people that the Antichrist is gonna make war with he gonna hate them he gonna try to get rid of them because these are living witnesses that Jesus Christ is still operative in the world that he is still working in the lives of people and Antichrist is gonna hate God's holy people so this idea that everybody's going to get the mark of the beast and everybody's going to be forced to get the mark of the beast so therefore if you get the mark of the beast you can still be saved. That is stupid. It is a lie. When we get to Revelation 14 we'll directly contradict that with scriptures. Ladies and gentlemen, don't worry about what people teach in their doctrines. If it don't line up with scripture, throw it out. Just throw it out. Okay? Let's continue to read. And all the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. The lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. Whosoever has ears, let them hear. Listen to this. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword they will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. Now listen to what this book is saying, ladies and gentlemen. What God has done with the book of Revelation is he has gone into the future and wrote down the events that are going to happen. 
So in order to keep people from getting caught by surprise and being overwhelmed, he tells you in advance what is going to happen. Just think of how many things in this life you would have avoided if you only knew what was going to happen before it got here. How prepared you would have been, the decisions you would have made, the, uh, the choices you would have made, the right things and the wrong things. Just think of all of the things you would have done differently if you only knew what was going to come. Well, this is what God did. God went into the future that's dealing with a time that the, that the world has never seen, not on this level. And so in order to compensate for us not really having a good frame of reference to compare this period with what God did is he went into the future, sent John into the future to write it down. So we would have an advanced account of things that were going to happen. So when they happen, we wouldn't freak out. We wouldn't lose heart. We wouldn't buy into all of the lies and the deception of the enemy. We, it, would be, it would be words written in our hearts. So therefore, the conversation started all the way back at the very beginning with John and writing to his little children saying, listen, you heard that Antichrist is coming. We're telling you this. He's going to come. The proof that he is going to come is there are Antichrists already that you have to deal with and a lot of those people that John was ministering to undoubtedly some of these people were caught locked up being for being Christians or persecuted because this is what happened during the first second and third centuries of Christianity this is what people had to live with okay they had to live with that all the apostles and of John died brutal deaths they beat some of them's brains out they Split some of them in half. They set them on fire. They impaled them with spears. Listen, whether it was persecution from the Jews, from the Romans, or whoever it was, it was rough being a Christian. And back then, being a Christian could cost you your life. So now when we fast forward into the future, ladies and gentlemen, God is telling us the same story. The story hasn't changed through the history of believers on the planet. This, since Daniel and the Hebrew boys, all of that. This, listen, the story has never changed because the battle between the world flesh and the devil and the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light and darkness, hasn't changed. So it's basically the same fight that's already been since the Garden of Eden. Uh, uh, he will bruise the heel of the Lord and the Lord's heel will bruise the devil's head it's always been the fight ladies and gentlemen it's, it's not going to change and so when John was writing his group his little children he said these antichrists are going to come he didn't say when antichrist is going to come y'all not don't worry about that because you well, God going to take us you'd never live to see him not or not never live to see him but the church would not be here the believers of God would not be here the people of God would not be here the saints of God would not be here John does not say that he says, listen, you heard he is coming. He's going to come. You got to deal with these little antichrists. Y'all going to have to deal with the big one, too. So this is why when you come to the book of Revelation, ladies and gentlemen, you find the language that you do.
you find that the Antichrist is making war against God's people. You're finding that the Antichrist, everybody's going to follow the Antichrist. They're going to follow him. Why are they going to follow him? Let's look at it. Let's look at it real quick, and I'm, I'm going to come back. I want to show you what makes the Antichrist famous. You know, some people say, well, he's going to sign this peace treaty, and he's going to have this, this fake death and all that. All of that is speculation. Let's just stick to what the Bible actually says. Uh, let's go to Revelation 17. And we're going to begin reading at verse 6. It says, And I saw the woman which was drunk with the, God, with the blood of God's holy people. The blood of those who bore the testimony of Jesus. I just think this is an interesting statement. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of God's holy people. He's talking about Babylon, the great prostitute. The blood of those who bore the testimony to Jesus. It says, when I saw her, I was greatly astonished. The I here is John speaking in first person. Then the angel said unto me, why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery in the Greek mysterion of the woman and of the beast that she rides, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. So just a footnote here. The first time we actually see this symbology of the seven heads and ten horns when it, uh, when it is applied to the beast uh, in Revelation chapter 13 where he says I saw a beast rising out of the sea having seven heads and ten horns okay so now he's about to give the hidden truth the mysterion mystery in English mysterion in the Greek means the hidden counsel of God uh, that is hidden from humans unless God reveals it and so that's why it's called a mystery okay now listen to verse number 8 the beast that you saw what once was now is not and yet will come up out of the abyss the abyss is the bottomless pit and go into its destruction the inhabitants of the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world will be astonished when they see the beast because it once was now is not and yet will come now uh, let me just do that again in King James uh, and it's, this is important because I, I want you to understand what is being said here verse number 7 reading the same thing again in King James and the angel said to me, Wherefore did thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and ten horns. The beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. When they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. Okay, now. The interesting thing about this passage is this. The Bible tells us what makes the world wonder after the beast. 
What makes the world wonder after the beast is when the manifestation of the beast that's in the bottomless pit. The beast that's in the bottomless pit, that is a demonic principality, ladies and gentlemen. That's not a human being. This is a demon. He once was, which means he was active in the earth realm before. He is not in John's day, but in the future shall ascend out of the bottomless pit. That's why the passage in verse number eight says it again. Let me see. Let me read it again. He said the beast that was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into the perdition. And they who dwell on the earth shall wonder, in other words, be amazed, whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. In other words, you're going to have two different groups of people on the earth. You're going to have those whose names have been written in the Lamb's book of life. In other words, those are God's people. They're still on earth. They're still around when the Antichrist comes. They're still here. And this is why John and first John said, you heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, are there many Antichrists? John didn't say, look, uh, you're going to be gone before the Antichrist comes. No, that's because on the earth at the time, you're going to have those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life and those whose names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But that's not just a futuristic reality. That's what you have now. Glory to God. You got people whose names are written in the book. These are same folks like us right now. Uh, we're, our names are written in the book then you have the whole world that all that's in the world is the lust of the flesh the lust of the life the pride of life these things are are not of the uh, of god but of the world and any man will love the world he's an he's an, an any person that loves the world is an enemy of god glory to god that's what the bible says i didn't write that so that's what you have on the planet now you got those whose names are written in the last book of life those whose names are not written in the last book of life two different philosophies two different lives two different levels two different worlds Okay, so, so now when this beast comes, he says in the verse eight, so the beast that thou saw was, is not, it shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition and they that dwell on the earth shall wonder. In other words, be amazed, marvel, whose names are not written in the land's book of life when they, what, behold the beast. In other words, when this beast is manifested in his human counterpart, he's going to have a human counterpart. The human counterpart would be the person that we call the Antichrist, but this is showing him from the demonic spiritual side. And from the demonic spiritual side, he's really a demonic principality that's been on the earth before, was locked up in John's day, but in the future is going to come out of the bottomless pit. Okay? And they behold, and, he's, and it says, and they're going to wonder when they behold the beast that was... And is not, and yet is. So ladies and gentlemen, when this demon comes out of the bottomless pit, he is going to have a anti-anointing. It's what I call it in uh, my book, Counterfeit Charisma. He's going to have an anointing, but it's an anti-anointing. Just like you have a Christ, you've got, and Christ has his anointing, you have an anti-Christ, and anti-Christ will have his anointing. He is going to be charismatic off the chain. He's going to be irresistible because it will be the powers of the kingdom of darkness just released from the abyss. So this is what's going to make the world wander after the beast. He's going to be special, ladies and gentlemen. He's going to have some powers. I'm going to use this word 
metaphorically, he's going to literally have the powers of hell. The anointing of hell is going to be on this man. He's going to get his power directly from Satan. But this is what's going to make the world wander after him. When they see that beast, when they see him uh, manifested in uh, the Antichrist, it's going to be irresistible for the world. And everybody is going to go for him. Except those people whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. This is the same thing that we were told in Revelation chapter 13. So let's go back there. Revelation chapter 13. Alright, let's look at this again. Verse number 7, And it was given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all Kendrick's tongues and nations. And all that dwell on the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life slammed from the foundation of the world. Now this is important because the Bible revelation here keeps making that distinction. You got people whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life and people whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. These are two opposing sides. The people whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life have the Holy Spirit. They're not going to follow the beast because these are the people who have read the Bible, who have the Spirit of God in them, who have taken the advantage of God's foreknowledge, putting all this information in Revelation. They have lived it for generations. They have been taught it. They have it's in their spirit. So by the time this stuff happens... Their name, they're already sealed who they are. Their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. They're not going to follow the beast. And this is why in Revelation 12, let's go back one verse, one chapter. Glory to God. This is what it says. Verse number 9. And the dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Verse number 10, And I heard a loud voice in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before God day and night. And they overcame him. By the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. See, this is a group of people, ladies and gentlemen, who even under the threat of death did not love their lives. See, if you love your life more, you will compromise. And this is what Jesus told his disciples. Glory to God. Listen to this. Listen, let me run this. See, the Lord is really directing me like not right now because I haven't even gotten to my notes yet. Glory to God. But I want, I want you to get this because it's really, really, really important. Jesus foretells of his death. This is what happens. 16, Matthew 16, 21. It says, from that time forth, Jesus began to show to his disciples how that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and be raised again on the third day. 
Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Be turned. But he turned, but he turned and said to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense to me, for thou savoreth not the things that be of God, but those of men. Now let's get this verse. I I I I like it better in the NIV because it the NIV picks it up picks up the nuances a little better. Jesus turned and said to Peter, verse 23, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you have in mind the concern, you, for you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now listen to this. Listen to this, ladies and gentlemen. What were the human concerns that Peter had? Peter had these concerns in mind. Jesus was just telling him, I'm going to go suffer. I'm going to die. They're going to abuse me. They're going to accuse me. And then they're going to kill me. Peter said, man, what are you talking about? Be that far from you. How is, why, 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 why are you talking negative? Why are you talking crazy? Why are you talking about dying, man? Come on. You a young guy, 33, 30 years old. You got, you got your whole life in front of you. What, what are you talking about? We need you around here, man. You know, you know, you got to bring in, you got to defeat the Romans and all of this stuff. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Just that quick, Satan had exploited Peter's emotions. You know why? Because it's the human thing to do for self-preservation. What are you talking about dying? All this dying stuff. What's up with that? But Satan had exploited Peter's human concern. See, it is a human concern to cover your butt, to protect your assets, CYA, right? Cover yourself. Stay out of trouble. Don't get locked up. Don't get killed. See, see, those are human concerns. And so listen what Jesus says next. He says, then Jesus said to him, whoever wants to be my disciple, let them deny themselves. Let them take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good would it be for someone to gain a whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or can what would anyone give in exchange for their soul? Listen to this, verse 27. So Jesus now switches to an eschatological thing. He says, for the son of man is going to come in his father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward every person according to what they have done. So now Jesus jumps into eschatology. He's talking about his second return, but he says that he emphasizes his second return with these words. If you seek to save your life, you are going to lose it. If you seek to lose, if you lose your life for my sake, you are going to save it. He rebuked Peter because Peter let human concerns not to die. Self-preservation. Cover your butt. Concerns that humans have override his thinking about the agenda of the kingdom of God. Jesus recognized it immediately and attributed to its source, which is Satan. Satan is the ultimate humanist who is always going to put human concerns above the things of the kingdom of God.
And so this is why when we go back to Revelation chapter 13, we're going to find out why the world wonders after the beast. He wonders after the beast because the beast will have control of all the finances. You will not be able to buy or sell without the mark of the beast. You won't be able to do it. Your credit cards will be shut down. Everything, ladies and gentlemen, you won't be able to bust a grip. You won't be able to find a nickel on the sidewalk and go into the store and buy nothing without that mark. Now, this presents a serious problem for the believers at the time because you're either with Christ or you're not with him. But it is the same set of circumstances that the Christians in John's day when he wrote this soul when he wrote his epistles to his little children or in other words the church or the believers glory to God he said look you have heard that I'm a crisis coming they were interested in knowing about this just as we are today you have heard that I'm a crisis coming even now there are many antichrists that y'all already got to deal with that's what proves the fact and just as you see these little antichrists you're going to see the other one he said he's coming and like I say, if John was treat, uh, teaching a pre-trib rapture theory, that would have been the time to say, you have heard, since you guys are bringing this up and since I have to address it, you have heard Antichrist is coming. You don't have to worry about Antichrist because the church will be gone before he gets here. End of story. We can go on to something else. That ain't what John said, ladies and gentlemen. And this is not the story that Revelation is teaching. Revelation is teaching there are going to be two groups of people on the planet at the time. Those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, they will not worship the beast. When the beast is released from the bottomless pit and gets into the, uh, his human counterpart, the Antichrist, and the whole world wanders after the beast, when they see that beast that's released out of the bottomless pit in his human counterpart, when they see that, it says the whole world is going to wander after the beast, everybody except those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That is the, that is the, mark of the, that is the line of demarcation. That is the distinction. That is what the Bible says. I'm not making up any of this. I'm putting it together for you so you could understand it okay let's go back to revelation 13 but this time let's switch to uh, where i'm with the niv okay so now as it says verse number eight it says all the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast whose names have not been written in the lamb's book of life the lamb who was slain from the creation of the world listen to this it said whoever has ears let them hear okay if anyone is to go into captivity into captivity they was going to go now this is what Jesus now listen how much love that God has for the church listen to how much love God has for his people he's telling them up front some of you are going to get locked up it's the same thing he told the people uh, the people at the church of Smyrna he said Satan is going to cast some of you guys into prison he said but be faithful unto death I will give you the crown of life same thing here uh, if anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword they will be killed. So he's letting you know. He says, listen, don't trip. Jesus died. The disciples died. Thousands of Christians have died. Hebrews 13 tells us about, uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 11 rather, tells us about the saints that the world was not worthy, how they were cut in half, sown, and you know, uh, all these tortures that they did. 
it, but they did it to obtain a better resurrection. God has provided some better thing that us that they without us should not that they without us should not be made perfect. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, this has always been the story for Christians. It's always been. It, it, it's, it hasn't changed. Glory to God. Listen to this. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword they will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. Listen to what I'm saying. This calls for patience. Y'all and endurance during these times on the part of God's people. Now, in the NIV, it says God's people. Well, let's go to the NASB. If anyone is to be, if anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If he, anyone kills with the sword, with the sword he must be killed. Here is the, here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. The King James Version uses the word saints as well. Let's go to the King James Version. He that leadeth in the captivity should go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. In other words, the saints, you need perseverance during this time. You're going to need endurance during this time. Because there's two people on the world whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Those who are not. Those who are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, they go on with the Antichrist. They're going to persecute you. Okay, this is the same thing that Jesus said. Let's go to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. I believe right around verse number 9, I believe it is. Now listen to this. We're going to read this in the NIV. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted. Listen to what Jesus is saying. And put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. Now it's interesting. People like Dr. Walvoord and many of these preachers. Oh, Jesus is talking to the Jews here. This is not talking to no Jews. Jews do not follow Jesus. Jews at the time of the tribulation are not going to be following the Lamb of God. They're only going to believe in him once he comes back. Once those nations and stuff like that surround Israel and all that, they're gonna be then they're gonna cry out for them after they see that they made the wrong deal with the wrong guy. Okay, the Antichrist. Then they're gonna see him when he returns. Jesus is talking about look, they're gonna persecute you because of me. This is people who follow Christ. Okay, verse number 10. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and betray each one another and hate one another. So Jesus is saying, listen, this is what's going to happen. They will you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. Jesus is telling them up front. This is what's going to happen. Okay, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. He could have been talking to the disciples just about the disciples because all nations didn't know when Jesus was giving his mouth Olivet disc, uh, a discourse. He, the, all nations didn't in the world didn't know about Jesus at that time because Jesus hadn't died. He hadn't went to the cross yet. He hadn't rose from the dead yet. 
Christianity, Pentecost hadn't happened yet. So Jesus is completely in the future now. Okay? And at that time, many will turn away from the faith. They're going to turn away from the faith. Why? But we're going to give you some, one of the reasons why I believe they're going to turn away from the faith. It's going to be a reason for that. And will betray and hate one another. So this is the same thing that Paul talked about in 2 Thessalonians. In 2 Thessalonians, chapter number 2, verse number 3. This is let no let no man deceive you by any means, for that day will not come until the rebellion recurs and uh and and the lawless one is revealed. Let's read that in the uh, King James version. And the King James verse says, "Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away." first the falling away first in the Greek there is apostasia that's the defection from the faith well this is just what Jesus said there's going to be a falling away but Jesus added something to it that Paul doesn't add here Jesus said they're going to be persecuted he said they're going to be a falling away because they're because there's going to be great persecution and people are going to be getting killed they're going to hand you over they got a brothers against sisters mothers against son and daughters they're going to be turning folks over ladies and gentlemen the world who goes with the antichrist are going to hate those who don't have who aren't getting the mark of the beast so therefore they're going to make war with these people they're going to they're going to betray them they're going to persecute them they're going to kill them this is what jesus said he says many will defect from the faith at that time that's what's going to cause this event that Paul is talking about. The falling away. The falling away is going to happen because of the persecution. This is the same thing that Revelation talks about. Let's go back to it again. The same thing Revelation talks about. Revelation 13 7. And it says, and it was given to them to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Okay? And all them that dwell on earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the land's book of life. And then this is why he goes in to the ninth and tenth verse. He says, if any man have an ear, let him hear. If you are supposed to go into captivity, into captivity you're going to go. If you're going to be killed with the sword, you're going to be killed with the sword. He said, this is the patient. This calls for patient endurance on the part of God's people or the saints. This is all the same message, ladies and gentlemen. This is not a different message. This is not a different message. Okay. Let's read one more. Oh, no, no. Let me. Let me okay. So now let me go back to our footnotes for my lesson. I haven't even got to the notes for my lesson. All of this was preamble. Okay. All right. Now. The opposing view, the most popular view in the world right now, so far as eschatology and the church, is pre-tribulationism. Pre-tribulationism is saying, look, we're going to be gone. This is going to apply to us. Those people we just got finished talking about being persecuted, that's another group of people. That's not the church. That's not saints. That's not God's holy people. No, that's, that, that, that's them other folk. Now, where are they getting that from? That's not what the Bible says. Your Bible does not make the distinction between this group of saints and that group of saints. This Bible doesn't make that distinction. You know who makes that distinction? Dispensationalists, pre-tribulationists. They make that distinction. The, the, the Bible says nothing of two different groups. It, 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 doesn't, it, it doesn't make that distinction. But let's look at this. First of all, where did this pre-trib stuff come from? All right, let's do a Cliff Notes version 
on the history of pre-trib. In England, back in the early 1800s, there was a gentleman by the name of John Nelson Darby. Anglican minister, comes from a prominent family, all that stuff. He ended up starting a group called the Plymouth Brethren. The Plymouth Brethren, they got together, they had these conferences and prayer groups and all of that, and they studied prophecy. Well, Darby had his views taught in this group because he was one of the people that started it. Okay, so he had this uh, this idea of dispensationalism and all of this stuff about, you know, pre-trib and all that stuff. This it came from him. Now, there there are other sources that say he got it from this uh Catholic girl who had a revelation and 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 all that and that's how he got it. But I I I haven't been able to nail those sources down, but so let, let's just start with what I was able to name nail down historically. So he started a group called the Plymouth Brothering. Okay. Uh, however, but there was a split within the Plymouth Brethren because Darby was then beginning to teach the secret rapture. In other words, that the people was just going to disappear, that type of thing, and it was going to be a secret rapture. It was two separate comings for the Lord. There was a separate coming for the Lord for His Church, and then a separate coming for the Lord in glory to institute His kingdom. Okay, so. He, he had a split within the Plymouth Brethren group. So the group ended up splitting up. But anyway, he ended up coming over to America. Okay, when he got over to America, we're talking about, uh, again, the, the, the 1800s, the 19th century, 1800s. So when Darby got over here, uh, eventually doing prophetic conferences and stuff like that, he spread his ideas, was starting to spread throughout the United States, okay, through his conferences and all of this. One of the top people that he ended up hooking up with was Dwight L. Moody. Now, Dwight L. Moody is one of the top ministers at the time you know this is the guy that started the ymca and all of that dwight l moody had a lot of a, a big impact on christianity in america at the time he was one of the big ones probably the biggest at the time with uh, uh darby and so uh, uh, began to associate with him okay and so that put him in circles and so uh, uh once he got that platform with moody and stuff like that you know again with his conferences and prophetic conferences and these different groups that met throughout the country his views began to pick up steam. Okay. Eventually, uh, Darby meets uh, C.I. Schofield. C.I. Schofield enamored with, again, with Darby's teachings and all of that. And so then Schofield picked it up. Okay. So we're just going to put a pin on Schofield for right now. Okay. Now, another gentleman who worked with um, uh, Dwight L. Moody was a gentleman by the name of Lewis Berry Schaefer. Now, Lewis Berry Schaefer, uh, who, who, who was a musician and a vocalist and uh, all of that, and he worked in Christian music ministry. So he worked with Dwight L. Moody and his Christian uh, ministry uh, as a music minister. However, once Lewis Berry Schaefer met C.I. Schofield, C.I. Schofield uh, uh, began to mentor Lewis Berry Schaefer. So Lewis Perry Schaefer left Moody, glory to God, left working with Dwight L. Moody, and he 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 was taken under the wing of C.I. Schofield. C.I. Schofield was very prominent by this time throughout the country. Uh, 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 Darby and you know teaching what Darby has taught him and all of this stuff. So Lewis Perry Schaefer eventually moves to the New York area, where Lewis Perry Schaefer had an extension course that he was teaching, and he put he put Lewis Perry Schaefer over his correspondence uh, extension course there in New York that C.I. Schofield had. Okay, now, 
Lewis Berry Schaefer rose to prominence, glory to God, and by him rising to prominence, he eventually started a seminary. Schaefer founded the Evangelical Theological College. It was a college in 1924, and he wanted to have a college that taught these uh, dispensational uh, teachings, uh, uh, this, 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 this brand of eschatology, so he started college. Now, in 1934, his evangelical college that he had started was renamed Dallas Theological Seminary in 1936, rather. Okay, now, so Louis Sperry Schaefer founded Dallas Theological Seminary. And it was Louis Sperry Schaefer who then took his views that he got from C.I. Schofield that C.I. Schofield got from John Nelson Darby. Okay, now. C.I. Schofield is important because also during this time, C.I. Schofield began to hooked up with Oxford University Press and release his enormously popular Schofield Reference Bible. The Schofield Reference Bible was immensely popular, went all over the country, all over the world. Okay, inside uh, in the uh, uh, the dispensational. Uh, eschatological construct pre-tribulationism was then spread around the world through the Schofield Reference Bible. Okay, now there's been there's been revisions since it came out in the early 1900s, but the idea is Schofield was influenced by Darby. Schofield then took under his wing Lewis Berry Schaefer. Lewis Berry Schaefer started Dallas Theological Seminary. Dallas Theological Seminary became the Pentacle, the flagship dispensational school. Now, it wasn't the only school that taught dispensational. There were others ones that were teaching it, but Dallas Theological Seminary became the prominent one. Now, there have been many, 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 many people that have go, that have graduated with degrees uh, from Dallas Theological Seminary. One being Dr. John Walford, one being Dr. Uh, uh, Pentecost, Dwight Pentecost, one being Charles, uh, Charles Ryrie, who did this Ryrie Study Bible, Hal Lindsey. Tony Evans, uh, Jeffers, the one that's the big evangelical preacher now. I mean, there's been a whole bunch of people. I can't think of all the names. I name them actually in my book that's coming out. Oh, as a matter of fact, I'm working on the Revelation Revolution book as we speak. So uh, it's going to be a series of books, right around 100 pages. I'm going to address all of these subjects. That's just a quick parenthetical thing. So. This is how pre-tribulationism started in America. It came over by John Nelson Darby. John Nelson Darby hooked up with people like Dwight Moody, L. Moody, Dwight L. Moody, and C.I. Schofield. C.I. Schofield, another prominent minister, he ended up doing the Schofield Reference Bible. Schofield took under his wing Lewis Berry Schaefer. Lewis Berry Schaefer started Dallas Theological Seminary. Dallas Theological Seminary put out people like Dr. John Walvoord, Pentecost, Ryrie, and a whole bunch of hosts of other people that began to teach dispensation throughout the country. Glory to God. Walvoord and Pentecost became the top two theologians on dispensational eschatology in the world. Probably the most renowned ones. Okay, not the only ones, but the most renowned. Now, it was in uh, 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 1996 
that I wrote to John, I was in Dallas, I wrote to John, John Walvoord. Now, you have to understand, uh, after Lewis Berry Schaefer started the college in 19, uh, after it was named Dallas Theological Seminary in, in 1936, uh, and I believe in 1952, uh, Lewis Berry Schaefer died. Well, when Lewis Berry Schaefer died, John Walvoord took over as Chancellor of DC, uh, Dallas Theological Seminary. It was John Walvoord that I wrote and said, wait a minute, pre-tribulationism is wrong in, uh, in the areas to talking about who the restrainer was. I then, after I wrote him, I then wrote Dwight Pentecost. I, he's the author of the book, Things to Come. Things to Come was the reference book, besides Lewis Berry Schaefer's volume of books on dispensational and theology, which he, he, he wrote voluminously. Uh, uh, but the bottom line is, is the reference book used by most dispensational schools and scholars is Dwight J. J. Dwight Pentecost's book, Things to Come. I refer to that book uh, often in my book okay and also in my book that's coming out Revelation Revolution I actually will include the letters that I got from John Walvoord and Dwight Pentecost and I'm also going to include the paper with Dwight Pentecost himself wrote on my paper and wrote some amazing things that you will not believe this man said just to keep from admitting that I was right and that preacher was wrong you would be amazed and, it, and listen I'm glad I saved the paper because the things I'm going to say about what this man told me. People would never believe it, but I got the letter and the paper in his handwriting to prove it, so they won't be able to back off of it. So the thing is, is after Lewis Berry Schaefer died, his three top disciples were John Walvoord, Dwight Pentecost, Charles Ryrie. Okay, now here's the thing. So pre-tribulationism really, really took off in the United States. You had opposing views, post-trib, mid-trib, you had all these other ones. But pre-trib really is the one that began to really take hold. Now, pre-trib, also, there was a popularized version that hit the country in the 80s. It was written by Hal Lindsey, and it was called The Late Great Planet Earth. Now, the reason why this is important is the a successful Christian book before you had these mega books like Hal Lindsey's book, a successful Christian book, if you sold 20, 30, 50,000 copies of a book, back, back in those days of a Christian book, you had a, you had a reasonably successful book. How Lindsay came out with the late great planet Earth talking about connecting the Middle East, the European common market, the market to be started, started talking about all this stuff in the Middle East and Armageddon. See, he popularized it in such a, his book sold multiplied millions of copies, went all over the world. Maybe how Lindsay, a very rich man and a very popular man. Okay. But how Lindsay also, also went to Dallas Theological Seminary. He graduated for them. So he knew Walvoord, he knew Pentecost, he knew he knew all these people okay so the bottom he was taught by these people so therefore when he put the late great planet earth out this is how this really 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 started spreading around the world and pre-trib became the thing because how Lindsay's book and then he had a he had a series of books late great planet earth was just the first one then he had a bunch more after that how Lindsay has sold millions of books millions okay uh, probably not as many as Joe Holstein but but at the time he his book was the uh, the Joe Olstein the book and I'm not saying that the two are equal I'm just saying so far as popularity success and the amount of copies sold okay then it was further further even more 
when uh, Tim LaHaye and Jerry B. Jenkins put out their Left Behind series, which actually became a movie. Okay, so this whole concept that uh, there was going to be Christians, uh, the Christians were going to be taken away in, in, the, in, the, in the secret, sub, sudden in the, in the rapture, just disappear and all of that. And I'm, not, and I'm not saying I don't believe in a rapture. I'm not saying that, ladies and gentlemen. I'm just giving you how all this plays out. Okay, so uh, Left Behind. So then you're going to have these people who who, who are kind of like quasi-Christian, only professing Christian. They're going to get left behind along with the rest of the world who, who's going to follow the Antichrist. They're going to end it. And then they're really going to have to earn their salvation in the tribulation because they these are called these tribulation saints, right? But the church is gone. You know, the church is gone. So, so this is why it's called Left Behind. So in the Left Behind series, the true born-again Christians that were raptured, were raptured but the other believers that didn't make the cut they were left behind okay so that's what that's about okay that also popularized he had a whole series very wildly probably that sold millions and millions of copies they even made a movie on it okay so this is how this stuff has embedded itself in american culture in western culture this is how it's embedded itself so basically you just got the cliff notes this is how this happened okay started back in the 1800s all right now but the reason why I, I, I leave with uh, Tim LaHaye and them is it's important because it's the left behind. It's two different groups of Christians according to them. All right? This is an important distinction to pre-trib that teaches that when the Holy Spirit is removed, the true spirit-filled believers, i.e. the church, will be taken to heaven in the rapture, leaving the others behind now what I'm about to do ladies and gentlemen I'm about to read to you from things to come written by J. Dwight Pentecost he's actually quoting Walvoord here the title of this chapter is Relation of the Holy Spirit to the Tribulation. Page 263. Again, the book is Things to Come. I'm reading to you word by word. And it's important that you follow me here because we need to understand pre-trib at a technical level, which the average person that believes pre-trib does not know it at exactly technical level. They only know it because their pastor said, we're not going to be here. Revelation, you don't need to worry about it. We'll be gone. The rapture before all the tr trouble starts. That's what they know. They don't, they don't know the to this stuff they don't know actually what the people who created this doctrine which Dr. Walford and Dr. Pentecost were just second generation this is second generation it came from Darby it came from Darby it came from Schaefer Schaefer then taught it to Walford it taught it to other students but Walford Pentecost Ryrie became his three closest and best disciples on this. So this is why what Walvoord and Pentecost say is so important because these were the ones who picked up the torch after Lewis Berry Schaefer went on to be with the Lord. So this is what it says. Glory to God. I'm reading to you verb uh, verbatim, word for word. Glory to God. Page 263, things to come. It is this is what it said. It is only insisted that the particular ministries of the Holy Spirit to the believer in this present age, such as baptism, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13, indwelling, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, sealing, 
Ephesians 1.13, 4 and 30, and filling Ephesians 5 and 18, do terminate. I want you to listen to this. On this question, Walvoid writes, there is little evidence that believers will be indwelt by the Spirit during the tribulation. The tribulation period seems to revert back to the Old Testament conditions in several ways. And in the Old Testament period, saints were never permanently indwelt except in isolated instances. Though a number of incidences of spilling of filling of the Spirit and of empowering for service are found, taking all of the factors in consideration, there is no evidence for the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in believers in the tribulation. If believers are indwelt, during the tribulation, however, it would also follow that they are sealed by the Spirit, the seal being his own presence in them. Since all of the Spirit's ministries to the believer today depend upon his indwelling presence, the absence of this prevents all of the dependent ministries to the tribulation saints. Now, I just read to you word for word for what Dr. Pentecost and Dr. Walvoord teaches. Now, let me just break this down for you. What are they saying? They teach that the restraining force of 2 Thessalonians is the Holy Spirit. Okay? That's what they teach. They don't use any of the information I just told you about from Revelation 17 showing that the beast ascends out of the bottomless pit if he ascends out of the bottomless pit that means he has to get out of the bottomless pit the bottomless pit is a prison for demons we find that out from where revelation chapter 20 verses 1 through th 4 and then in verse 7 it is literally called satan shall be let loose from his prison the bottomless pit a pit is a prison for demons okay pre-trib doesn't use any of the information to tell you where the beast comes from what they do is they use all of these other scriptures such as Genesis 3 6 Isaiah 59 uh, Isaiah 59 uh, 9 uh, 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 John 16 and John uh, a few verses in John and they say see there the Holy Spirit is called a he they don't use any of the information for revelation so therefore they have postulated they have summarized they have concluded that the Holy Spirit can only be the one that's restraining the Antichrist without using any of the information dealing with where the Antichrist comes from from the book of Revelation. They completely ignore that. So now they have concluded that since the Holy Spirit is the restrainer that has to be removed out of the way, this is how they're coming up with the conclusion that tribulation saints can't be dwelt with the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit who is the restrainer who's already been taken. Now, since the Holy Spirit has been taken, this is why Walvoord here states that the Holy that believers during the tribulation can't be indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, because they say the believers of the of the tribulation cannot be indwelt with the Spirit, that's why they can't be part of the church. So in other words, because of that, they have created another group of believers here who don't have the spirit, according to them. 
That's why how you interpret Second Thessalonians, who is the restrainer, is so important because it interprets, it informs you how you deal with the reality that God is saying there are still saints here. This is why God is addressing these saints who are going to be living at that time. This is why he's talking to them. This is why all of this information is put in the Bible so that the people that are living at the time, glory to God, will have the information. But according to pre-trib, these are not people that are in the church because they don't even have the Holy Ghost. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bible does not say that. This is pre-trib superimposing their doctrine to interpret this passage to say that these people are not Christian. They are not dwelled with the Holy Spirit. They're not sealed by the Holy Spirit. They're not filled by the Holy Spirit. This is why I began our discussion with 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. No man can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Ghost. These people are going to have to face Antichrist and remain faithful to Jesus. There's no way you can do that without the Spirit. Dr. Walvoord and them do not have the authority to claim that these people do not have the Holy Spirit talking about it ain't no evidence for it. That is just plain stupid. The Bible makes no such distinction, ladies and gentlemen. They are basing this on the, the uh, he who now led up the Thessalonians being the Holy Spirit when in fact they did not use any information glory to God about who the restrainer is as a matter of fact we're going to come back to this let's just do a brief let's go to Revelation chapter 20 and uh, this is important ladies and gentlemen I hope you're following me here Revelation chapter 20 verse number 1 this is what the word of God says and I saw an angel come down from heaven. Not Michael, not Gabriel, not anybody else, just an angel. What did he have in his hand? Having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. In other words, when he bound him, bound, you know what another word for bound is? Restrained. That's what he used the chain for. The angels do the restraining, ladies and gentlemen. That's who does that. Listen to what he did. Number three, and cast him into the bottomless pit and shed him up and set a seal upon him. Seal that big mouth of Satan that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be let loose a little season. Let's go down to verse number seven. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be let loose out of his prison. Ladies and gentlemen, the bottomless pit is a prison. So now we are told the bottomless pit is under lock and key. Angels, who are always referred to in the masculine gender, have the, are the ones 
who run the bottomless pit on the behalf of God. They, they, they do that. They come down and bind people like Satan. Now, Satan is the chief principality and power of all wickedness. Satan is over the Antichrist. The Antichrist is his subordinate. Antichrist gets his power from Satan. So the reason why this is important, ladies and gentlemen, is this. If Satan can be bound by an angel with a chain who's got the keys to the bottomless pit, placed in a prison that he cannot escape from, that, that is so impregnable, impregnable that he's, his powers to deceive are shut down. It's like Satan during that thousand years doesn't exist. And this is why when the Lord comes back during the millennium, this is why the world is going to flourish for a thousand because Satan's going to be locked up. He won't be able to bust a grape in the earth realm. Now, if Satan can't escape, if Satan can't deceive, if Satan can be restrained and the angels get him, here is the question, ladies and gentlemen. What did Revelation 17 tell us? Let's go back there and look. Revelation 17, verse number 8. The beast that thou sawest was and is not shall ascend out of the bottomless pit. It is the same pit that Satan will be thrown in during the millennium. So if Satan is bound by an angel, put in a prison, bound with chains, locked up, then that would apply also to the beast that has to get into the Antichrist. Now, ladies and gentlemen, wouldn't it make sense that when you're trying to figure out what's restraining the Antichrist, now wouldn't this make sense that you would use that information? But when pre-trib came up with their theory, they didn't use not one word of what I just gave you. All of this is in the Bible. They didn't use any of it. They went in a completely different direction and concluded that the restrainer was the Holy Spirit. And then they said it's the Holy Spirit that has to be taken out of the way. And since the Holy Spirit is resident in the church, the church has to leave with the Holy Spirit. So this is why when they come to Revelation 13, they are forced to say that these people can't have the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit has already been taken. The Bible never said any of that. That's pre-trib theory that they cannot prove with the Bible. They went to John and said that well the he is the Holy Spirit because Jesus the, the Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit in the masculine gender. And they come up with all this stupid scriptures that they use as proof text and none of them have anything to do with Antichrist. None of those scriptures has anything to do with eschatology. None of those things have anything to do with the, uh, uh, the binding uh, of Antichrist or anything like that. None of them had. You, they, all they had to do was come to Revelation. All the information is in Revelation. They didn't use any of that. 
So that's why I wrote Walford. That's why I wrote Pentecost. I said, listen, y'all left this out. So that means your theory is faulty. You are sending people in the wrong direction talking about uh, 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 who the restrainer is. And you got people thinking that the Holy Spirit is going to be removed before the revealing of the Antichrist when you don't have the Bible to back that up. What the Bible is saying is that the beast comes from the bottomless pit. The bottomless pit is a prison. If he is in a prison, why wouldn't you consider that? It's what's holding him down. If the prison is locked by angels who are referred to in a masculine gender, why wouldn't you include that in your theory? You know I got crickets. They didn't answer that question because they couldn't answer it. I'm putting it in my book. You're going to see it. Do you know that Dwight Pentecost actually suggested that the angel that comes down in Revelation 20 verses 1 through 4, he said, that, that's Christ. I said, this man is a comp... Ooh, it made me so mad to see that. You're going to see it, ladies and gentlemen. He, he came back out of it, even though Dwight Pentecost is dead now, Dwalvert is dead now. But the bottom line, the people who back their theories, when they see that, they're not going to be able to get out of it because it's in his own handwriting. He wrote it on my paper and sent it back to me and I'm going to use it to show the fallacy. This is serious, ladies and gentlemen. This is not a joke. Let's go back to what Walvoort was saying. Let me read it again. Page 263, Things to Come. It is only insistent that the particular ministries of the Holy Holy Spirit to the believer in this present age, such as baptism, indwelling, sealing, and filling, do terminate. In other words, he said, during this age, because the Holy Spirit is the restrainer that's taken out of the way, he said, that terminates. On this question, Walvoid writes, there is little evidence that the believers will be indwelt by the Holy Spirit during the tribulation. He's talking about these Revelation 13 saints. That's who he's talking about. He's got to deal that you they've got to say that because they already taught that the Holy Spirit is is gone. But they can't deny the fact that these are saints. God is calling them saints. God is saying these people have their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. God is saying that they remain faithful to Jesus. God is saying that they keep the commandments of God. God is saying these are his precious saints, his holy ones, Hagios. People that belong to him. This is what the Bible is saying. So they can't deny that part. But what they what, but what they do is they come back and say they might be saints, but they're not part of the church. Dr. Walver, Dr. Pentecost, Dr. Ryby, they have no authority to say what is and what if they're filled with or not filled with. Who do they think they are? They're human beings. As a matter of fact, gone on, not even on the planet, not even on the earth anymore. They have determined for God that these people are not filled with the Holy Spirit because of some theory they came up saying that it's the Holy Spirit that's to be removed and the Bible doesn't say that. This is what he says. There's little evidence that believers will be indwelt during the tribulation. The tribulation seems to revert back to the Old Testament condition in several ways. And in the Old Testament period, saints were never permanently indwelt with a, 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 except in the isolated incidences. Though a number of incidences, the, the filling of the Spirit and the empower for service are found. Taking all the factors into consideration, there is no evidence for the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit to believers in the tribulation. 
since all of the Spirit's ministries to the believer today depend upon his indwelling presence, the absence of this prevents all the dependent ministries of the, uh, uh, of the tri to the tribulation saints. You see, they cannot deny that they're saints. They can't deny that. Saints in the entire New Testament always means the people of God. Paul doesn't always refer to the church by saying it's the church. Most, A lot of the times, 50% of the time, he refers to them as the saints. Now, saints means Christians all through the New Testament. But according to pre trib once you get to uh, 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 Revelation, then the rules change for what a saint is. All of a sudden, that changes. This is why pre-trib has determined that the saints of Revelation are not a part of the church. Because since the Holy Spirit has departed, they can't be partakers in the transforming ministries of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the believers. Because the Holy Ghost is gone. Y'all might be believers, but y'all don't have the Holy Spirit. If, if you don't have the Spirit, the Bible says, if you have not the Spirit of Christ, you are none of His. That's what the Bible says. Romans 8 and 9. Okay? This is why who the restraint of Second Thessalonians, Thessalonians is so important because it informs us how to interpret portions of Revelation that pertains to the saints identified in Revelation chapter 7 and 13. You see, according to pre-trib, since the Holy Spirit is gone, any believer at the removal of the Holy Spirit cannot be a part of the body of Christ because it is not it is the Holy Spirit that baptizes you into the body of Christ, right? Hence, the saints of Revelation 13 are not the church, but they're tribulation saints. So this is why Tim LaHaye says, see there, they got left behind. This separation is a designation promoted and popularized by pre-trib is a doctrinal separation. It is not a biblical separation. The Bible makes no such distinction. That's pre-trib saying that. So, so pre-trib has to rely on the Holy Spirit being the restrainer in order to justify separating into two classes, church saints from tribulation saints. See, because without the Holy Spirit being removed, ladies and gentlemen, there's no basis to make that statement. See, the basis to make that statement comes from when you teach the Holy Spirit is the restrainer who's been removed. Without interpreting Second Thessalonians that way, there is no basis to say that these people are not a part of the church. The basis to make that statement can only come when you conclude the restrainer is the Holy Spirit of Second Thessalonians. That's why who the restrainer is is so important. Because you got a whole group of Christians now who are going to get caught because they've been taught the Holy Spirit is supposed to be gone. The church is supposed to be gone. And it's based on a theory of interpreting the restrainer of 2 Thessalonians to be in the Holy Spirit. Now the same people who came up with that theory use none of the information in Revelation about where the beast is, where he's locked up, who locked him up. All of that information they left out of their theory and they came up with this fairy tale theory. That's why I wrote Wall of Warden Pentecost. That's why I did it. This is not a joke. This is not something that I just cooked up. But you know something? I didn't get taught this in the school. You know what? God spoke to my heart. 
at one defining point in the early 1990s when I began reading, reading uh, Revelation and all that, God just spoke to me. He said he can't get out. And all of a sudden he opened up to me where the beast was, how, and I was able to see it. If you look at the John MacArthur, uh, a, a, it's a single commentary he has on the Bible. Do you know John MacArthur admits that the Antichrist will be, be possessed by a demon from the bottomless pit? But John MacArthur knows, but they don't put it together. Wait a minute, if he's possessed by a demon that comes out of the bottomless pit, how does that demon get out of the bottomless pit? The bottomless pit is what's holding him down. That's a prison. It's a prison for demons. They didn't use any of this, ladies and gentlemen. They went completely out the way. So now you're going to have a bunch of Christians that are still here when they thought they were going to be gone. Under threat of death. And this is why Jesus said, if you seek to save your life, you're going to lose it. If you lose your life for my sake, you're going to save it. That's why he said that. That's why he rebuked Peter. He said, Peter, you're more concerned about human concern than things of God. This is why in Revelation, they said they loved not their lives until the death. This is why Jesus said, unless you pick up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of me. You know why? Because when Antichrist comes, this is why John said in 1 John, you heard that Antichrist is coming. Even now, are there more Antichrists? There's a bunch of them now. This is how you know he's coming. Y'all going to have to deal with this just as you are dealing with Caligula and Gainus and Marcus Aurelius and, and, Dom, and Domination and all of that. You know, you, 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 you have all of these things going on and uh, uh, you're dealing with this now. But you're going to have to deal with it in an eschatological sense as well. This is why John didn't say, oh yeah, when Antichrist comes, don't worry about it because y'all are going to be gone. No, that's pre-trib. John wasn't, John wasn't pre-trib. Pre-trib came along with John Nelson Darby in the 1800s. Pre-trib has to rely on the Holy Spirit being his trainer. In order to justify into two separate classes, church saints and tribulation saints, because without the Holy Spirit being the restrainer that is to be removed, there is no basis to make the saints of Revelation 7 or 13 a group, a different group than the church. The fact is, is the language is there. There are saints that are here. There are saints that are here whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That can't be denied. Priest Rib can't do nothing with that. The only thing that they can do is say, yeah, they're in there, but they're not the church. That's so stupid. The revelation does, does not make a distinction between the two groups, ladies and gentlemen. That's dispensationalists that do that. This is another thing that Dr. Pentecost observed. We're quoting from uh, Things to Come, page 262. The church age commenced with the advent of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. It will close with the reversal of Pentecost, the removal of the Spirit. Now this is what this man said in his book. Where is that passage in the scripture showing the reversal of Pentecost? Where is the Holy Spirit featured leaving the earth as it came in Pentecost? I mean, we can, we can show Acts chapter 2, Joel chapter 2. We can show where he came. 
We can show that. But pre-trib, Dr. Pentecost in his book says there will be a reversal of Pentecost. Now that sounds authoritative. That sounds official, right? Because he's a scholar. He's got a DD. He's got a THD. He teaches at Dallas Theological Seminary. And he writes books. And these reference books are taught in the seminaries. And it's that way because he says it. But Dr. Pentecost or any other pre-trib person, could you please show me the passage of scripture that shows the reversal of Pentecost? Can you show whether where it was a rushing mighty wind that was taken up from the earth and the cloven tongues of fire went back up into the heaven and the door opened up in heaven and took that back up into heaven and the door closed and now the Holy Spirit is gone? Can you please find me one passage of scripture that just Justifies what you just said in your book that there is a reversal of Pentecost. Where is it at? Crickets. That scripture doesn't exist. They just said it. Pre-trib cannot argue against the fact that they are saints in Revelation. They are saved. They are precious. Because the Bible is explicit. It's explicit. Okay. They can't get around that. Glory to God. Let's look at Revelation chapter 14. You're going to enjoy this. Revelation chapter 14. Uh, again, if you go back to lesson 16, I actually play, and I'm saying this again because it's important. I actually played the piece, the audio, you can hear it yourself. Well, Dr. John MacArthur is asked, are people doing the tribulation that get the mark of the beast, can they be saved? Okay, we're gonna read we're gonna read the we're gonna read the scripture that deals with that. But I just wanted to say this. People I'm more interested in what a theologian says that has a reputation, that has commentaries, that has status. They're more interested in what he say than what the Bible says. But you know what? That's exactly how the Pharisees were. The Pharisees were more concerned about their traditions. And Jesus, he got them on it. He said, in vain do they worship me, teaching the doctrines and the commandments of men. He says, you, you, you make the word of God not effect to keep your own tradition. It's no different today than it was in Jesus' day. The scholars of that day. The ones who controlled the schools. The ones who controlled the synagogues. The ones who controlled the Sanhedrin. The scribes and the Pharisees. The lawyers. The ones who argued. The ones who would strain at a net and, and miss the beam in their own eye. Write books on one word and miss the whole point. That's the problem. The, the lady that talks to John MacArthur, like I say, go back to, I'm pretty sure it's in the, the 16th episode. Go back there and listen to it. 
Number one, she had no business even asking that question. Because the Bible is clear. Why would you even ask somebody, can you get the mark of the beef and still be saved? When the Bible is really clear on that. But the fact that they would ask that question, even though the Bible says what it says, is an indication that people don't really pay attention to the Bible. They pay more attention to the scholars. And that has always been a problem. That's just not a church age problem. It's always been an issue. The ones who write the books control the narratives. The ones who teach in the college control the thought. But listen to this. All right. Verse number nine, chapter 14. And the third angel follows, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink the wine of the wrath of God which is poured without mixture in the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and who hand his image and whosoever receive the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Listen to this. And here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Oh, I love that. Listen to this, ladies and gentlemen. These, these are these ones they call tribulation saints, right? They ain't got no Holy Ghost. This is crazy. Listen to this. Here's what God is saying. He's going, Christians at the time, y'all going to be on earth. Remember, 1 John, you heard that Antichrist is coming. Even now, there are many Antichrists. John didn't say, don't worry about it because y'all are not going to see him. That ain't what he said. God is making it real plain here. He's making it easy for you. He said it's going to boil down to two choices. The Christians that are living at the time. Two choices. If any man receives his mark, or the image or anything worship his image they too will drink of the wine of God's fury which has been poured full strength in the cup of his wrath and they will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of holy angels and the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever they, they, there will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and his image or for anyone who receives the mark of his name now let me just put a pen there notice it says they're going to be tor tormented with fire and brimstone forever and ever okay that doesn't happen during the tribulation that happens in the lake of fire okay the lake of fire is also a part of the wrath of God now this is important because when I do my book 310 based on Revelation 310 talking about the church of Philadelphia pre-trib says it's talking about deliverance from the tribulation or the wrath of God 
But what they forgot to understand is the wrath of God also includes the second death, which is the lake of fire. We know that here because this includes that. Being kept from the hour had nothing to do with the second half of the tribulation or the seven years. The tribulation itself, if you go with a seven-year tribulation, I'm just saying, I'm just using this as an analogy, is tiddlywinks compared to the lake of fire. Tiddlywinks. It's nothing. What God is talking about here lasts forever. Being tormented forever and ever. No rest day or night forever. The tribulation is seven years. That's nothing, ladies and gentlemen. Do you know that the people that's going to be thrown in the lake of fire would take their chances with dodging 100 pound hailstones that you find in Revelation chapter 16 or dealing with the earthquakes or dealing with Armageddon? Do you know if they had a choice to, deal, to choose that? They would choose that. They would choose the tribulation over being thrown in the lake of fire. Even in the tribulation, God says he, he shortens those days that all flesh would not be saved. So there is, there, there is even some mercy in the tribulation. There's a mercy. <laughs> there's, there's, there's room to give people time to repent. But they didn't repent, but there's room there. So even though the tribulation is the worst thing that's happened in the history of the human race so far as human events, the lake of fire is not a human event. This is an eternal event. So therefore, it can't compare in magnitude to the final judgment. The final judgment is also part of the wrath of God. God's purest form of wrath is not going to be revealed in the tribulation. His purest form of wrath is revealed in the lake of fire. That's where it is. Because that's the one that lasts forever. So we're going to get back to that. 310. Wait till I come out with that. Preach Rabe has always said, oh yeah, see that proves we're, we're kept from the hour of temptation and hour of temptation, an hour of trial rather. Oh, that, uh, that's the tribulation. No, it's not. No, it's not. The tribulation isn't even the worst thing. The tribulation is only a, only a few years at most. The lake of fire is forever. We'll get back to that point. But anyway, Let's get back to this. Verse number 11. And the smoke of that torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day or night for them that worship the beast as image or for anyone that receives the mark of his name. Notice number 12. This calls for a patient endurance on the part of God's people who keep his commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. Now, how do you remain faithful to Jesus without the Holy Spirit? No man can call Jesus Christ Lord unless it be by the Holy Spirit. How do you do that? How do you face death and you don't have the Spirit of God? Remember Jesus said, do not take thought of what you will say when they bring you before these magistrates. He said, I will give you the words at that very hour. In other words, they are filled with the Spirit. Jesus is going to speak right through them just like he did through Stephen when they were tormenting, when they, when they were about to stone him to death. Jesus said, don't even think about what you're going to say. I'm going to give you the words right at that hour. How does that happen without the Holy Spirit? Dr. Walvoord, Dr. Pentecost, they don't have the authority to tell you who has the spirit and who don't have the spirit. These are human beings. They didn't write none of this stuff. This is not their words. 
Their words is that doctrine they wrote. Oh, it's the Holy Spirit. He taken from the earth. The Holy Spirit ain't going to be here, so these are the left behind ones. Similar, he says, see, they're the left behind. They didn't have the Spirit. Oh, you guys got to stay. You guys got to suffer. What comfort would that be? March Hitchcock. Oh, go to my, uh, go to my, uh, make sure you do episode 16, where I also have March Hitchcock. Oh, what comfort would there be if we're still here to be here for Antichrist? What comfort would there be? We're about to see what comfort there would be. Listen to this. Verse number 12. This calls, this calls for, this calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints, God's people. Verse number 13 says, Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit. They will rest from their labor, but their deeds do follow them. Now listen to this. <laughs> you have the Holy Spirit himself. The Holy Spirit himself guaranteeing that the people who remain faithful to Jesus, that their work, they're going to heaven. Their works do follow them. And it says, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Now, wait a minute. Stop. How do you die in Christ? You know, in Christ is Pauline, right? In Christ risen with him, seated with him, buried with him, indwelt by him, sealed by him. How do you die in Christ? And didn't Paul say those who die in the Lord, the Christ will bring back with them? Uh, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. How do you die in the Lord without the Holy Spirit? And why would you have the Holy Spirit himself saying here, blessed are they, if the Holy Spirit wasn't involved? This is your Bible, ladies and gentlemen. Blessed, yes, says the Spirit. For they shall rest from their labors and their deeds will follow them. In other words, God saying, I'm not going to forget your labor of love and your sacrifice that you have shown towards my name. You were stand-up Christians who love not their lives unto the death. Ladies and gentlemen, it is going to be a sad day of affairs where millions of Christians who thought they were going to be gone are still here. When all this stuff jumps off. Jesus said when they begin to persecute you and kill you many are going to abandon the faith it's the same thing Paul said there's going to be a great falling away they've been taught all this time that the Holy Spirit was the restrainer they didn't use any of the information in Revelation. They cooked up a doctrine bought over here from England by a guy named John Nelson Darby, 
who just so happened to associate with some of the big wigs here in America. He got in the right circles, influenced some key people who started universities who began to teach this stuff. This is your Bible. It's in your Bible. Listen, you have just been a part of another episode of the Revelation Revolution. We're going to continue this discussion. Listen, my book should be coming out soon. Uh, hopefully by the end of the year. You're not going to want to get it. I, uh, you're not going to want to miss it. Get it. Uh, it's going to show Walvoort's letter. It's going to show Pentecost's letter. It's going to show Pentecost's uh, writing to me some of the ridiculous things he said to keep from admitting that they were wrong. Glory to God. And it's going to be meticulous each point of how I said that this first chapter is going to be very powerful. It's going to have plenty of references. I'm going to go reference everything. The bibliography is going to be tight. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, you're not going to want to miss this. Tell your friends about it. It's important because as we as we get wind down to these days ahead, we're going to need to know what thus saith the Lord. Listen again, this is Dr. Dennis James Woods. I'm so happy to be with you once again. This is the Revelation Revolution. See you next time in Jesus' name.